Grab a Bible, please, and open it up to Amos chapter 5. We'll be looking at one verse, well, we'll be looking at many verses. We're going to read one verse this morning. That'll be verse 24, and that can be found on page 768 of your pew Bible that should be there near you if you need that Bible. Um, we are finishing up Amos. We actually finished up chapter 9 last week and uh, um, because I wanted a little bit of space between the Advent series that we're going to begin next week. And also because it's an important topic, I thought we would look at the theme of justice this morning. Uh, not only in the book of Amos, but we'll see that expanded because we have to have an overall view from Scripture as to what that is. And um, so this morning we're going to read this one verse and then we'll talk about this issue of justice in the Scriptures. Hear the word of God in Amos 5.24. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. It is powerful. It is glorious. It tells us all that we need for life and living before you as our God. And so may these words penetrate our hearts this morning. May we get a, a clearer understanding of this idea of, of justice from your word. And may we, um, in light of Christ, live it out. We thank you. In his name we pray. Amen. On August 28, 1963, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. stood at the Lincoln Memorial for the, for the march on Washington for jobs and freedom, and he, he spoke these words. You may remember them. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We will never, never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We will never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by, by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and the Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Here, on our nation's, in our nation's capital was a cry for justice. And here, the book of Amos remains embedded in our nation's consciousness any time we hear those words, even if many do not know that in fact they are from the mouth of the prophet Amos on God's behalf. The word justice brings to mind a number of issues. Justice for most people refers to a sense of fairness. But while justice is important to almost everyone, it means different things to different people and to different people in groups. For instance, social justice is the notion that everyone deserves equal economic, political, and social opportunities irrespective of race, gender, or religion. Distributive justice refers to equitable allocation of assets in society. 
Environmental justice is the fair treatment of all people with regard to environmental burdens and benefits. Restorative or corrective justice seeks to make whole those who have suffered unfairly. Retributive justice seeks to punish wrongdoers objectively and proportionately. And procedural justice refers to implementing legal decisions in accordance with fair and unbiased processes. Now, philosophers and religious tenets throughout the history of mankind have contemplated the meaning of justice. So today, we want to look at, the, at, at justice from the Bible's perspective and consider how God views justice. And therefore, why is it, it is important to us? Now, I want to make a disclaimer here. We can't cover every possible understanding of this. So this is a primer for you. Okay, this is a primer. This is a, a an introduction almost. People have written volumes on this topic. We cannot cover it all in one sermon. sermon. And so please just note that that I'm not going to be able to say everything you would like me to say. And there'll be some things I'll say that you won't want me to say. And so as we wrestle through this, understand that we as God's people have to go to the book to understand justice. I'll talk about why. Why will we look at that? Because we'll see, first of all, that justice begins with God. It begins with God. Secondly, we'll, have a, we'll kind of gain a little bit of an understanding of justice from a biblical perspective. And then we'll talk about two issues, finally, sort of application issues, and how justice is to be accomplished by God's people. So those are the three things we're going to talk about today. So let's begin with justice uh, begins with God. Since there are so many perspectives on justice, it is helpful for us to begin with how God views justice and why that is important to us. And the fifth chapter of Amos is really a really good place to start because it contains some of the most striking and most well-known justice language in all of Scripture. For example, in verse 15, we read these words, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. However, what Amos is doing here is he's essentially pointing out where Israel had failed at justice. So it really doesn't give us a working definition or a fundamental understanding as to why it's important. It just states this is what is going on here. Now, if anyone with some common sense should be able to understand as they read the book of Amos what is going on, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but we have to go back in Scripture to see the fundamental foundation for justice as it is laid out by God. And so one of the most crucial points in studying Scripture is to go back to the beginning. I, I mean... If I were to give you one example of how you can study your Scripture better, I would say always look at it in terms of going back, going back, and going back. And sometimes you're back and you go forward, you go forward, you go forward. So it's just this idea of going back and forth, back and forth in the Scripture to understand it and to understand what's going on you know, topically even. Um, uh, uh, essential elements of, of whatever we may know that the Scripture speaks of, we go back and forth to understand them. So as we look at the foundations of Genesis, understand that it is very important to the rest of Scriptures on every issue, and even this issue as well. So what we see in the beginning is the essentialness of why justice is important to God. 
In Genesis 1.26, in a sentence that sets the fundamental understanding of of the issue, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. What do you think that has to do with justice? That's the question. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. We, as human beings, are made in the image of God, and in this identity lies the basis of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness, no matter who they are. Why? Simply because they are made in the image of God. God says in Isaiah 61, 8, for the Lord, uh, for I, the Lord, love justice. So that tells us that he loves justice. So he demands justice. He demands justice because why? Because he is just. You see, we have to go from understanding it from mankind to, well, Lord, why is it so important to you? What is this about with you? You see, every truth in the universe is God's truth. And what that means is is every mathematical formula, every scientific law, every relationship boundary traces its roots to the very character, to the essence of God and who He is. That is the fundamental understanding that we need to have. Think of it this way. If we merely evolved from bits of pond scum, as secular humanists suggest, justice wouldn't make sense. Why? Because who decides? Who decides what justice is? The mob? The Nazis? The king? The dictator? The intelligentsia? Who decides? You see, this has always been the struggle of fallen man throughout throughout, uh, history. Um, Look at it this way. The entire Greek-Roman political system was built on the concept that all humans were not created equal. I want you to think about that for a minute. Aristotle argued that only rational humans, which did not include slaves, were equal. Therefore, slavery was deemed just and right. Do you see how that works? It depends on where you're coming from. It depends on your set of values. It depends on how you set that up. But we know in the truth that the Bible says that God is the reason why there needs to be justice in the world. People made in his image. And this, is, is, this biblical truth is a unique contribution to the history of human civilization. And what's more interesting, and I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent here, but what's more interesting is, is that because our nation, and, and we can argue back and forth on, is our nation a Christian nation? That's not really the point. Our nation was founded on Christian values. That's why it says that we are to be, you know, have equal rights in America. That's why it's there. They didn't take it from the Romans, did they? Although you, you see the complexity, although we had slaves, there's still some Roman stuff going on there behind the scenes, some, some different understandings. But biblically speaking, that's how America was made. 
It was made up of these biblical values. And what's happening in our society today is we're living off that borrowed time. And so it's really crazy out there in what people think and how they view justice. It's very strange. There's all sorts of holes you can poke into it. But the only holes you can poke into it come from an understanding of who God is. That he made us to be in his image. That's where it starts. And, and that's exactly what Dr. King appealed to, isn't it? If you read his speech, which I read it several times this past week, because we are created in the image of God and have his heart in matters of morality, courage, love, and justice, that should be for all people. And that's what Dr. King is arguing for. That's the beauty of what he did. That's what has been lost so much in the civil rights movement. Every once in a while, I look back at the whole thing and I think, why, Lord, did you allow him to be killed? I mean, I hate to say this, but couldn't you have allowed some of those other people to be killed instead that have gone off on all sorts of strange tangents? And I'm sorry, I should say that as a pastor. But I'm telling you how I think about it. Because I think Dr. Martin Luther King was right on this. And when I read the speech, I think about it and I say, He's, he is really coming at this from a biblical standpoint that is strong. And he is saying, look, we need equality. At least you think that it doesn't exist today. I have a friend who recently was turned down in a hotel in Alabama because of his skin color. You think it doesn't exist today, but it does. And that's some of the issues that we have to come to grips with. So here's the thing. Jesus, our God, our Savior, is the complete embodiment of these traits that we only possess in part. These traits of morality, of courage, of love, and justice. But see, here's the thing. He is complete love. He is complete goodness. He is complete kindness. And He is complete justice. And so when we look at the matter before us, justice begins with God. It always does. And so let's consider some principles and applications to this. If that is so, if God is the essence of justice, then I, as a person, must never determine what justice is. I must lean upon Him. I must look to His Word. I must be continually evaluating my heart before His work of justice, before His view of justice, before His essence of justice. Secondly, if God is not at the center of one's justice mentality, then that justice only serves self. And so when I step into the realm of moving outside of God's justice, it's about me, isn't it? It's about who I am. It's about what I want. For example, I've seen people, um, and, and I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure all of you are guilty of this, you, you will... You will punish children because you're frustrated, not because there's some real issue there going on. I've seen it in restaurants before. I've seen kids. There was some kid one time, Chris and I, it was a long weekend, and we were in a restaurant. We were trying to chill and relax. And this lady, and she was letting her kid do all these crazy things and go on and on and on. And I'm like, is this lady ever going to deal with this child? So a little bit later, the kid was just trying to eat, and he accidentally spilled his milk. She railed on him. Now, what was the difference? She was aggravated at the fact that he spilled milk, but that's being a child. His behavior was let go, which she should have been dealing with. 
See, she was deciding what was just in that moment. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to look to how God would have us, even in our own families, be just and right before Him with our children and raising them. In all of the elements of society, we need that thinking. And so another thing to consider is this. If justice exists because it is from God, then it should be equal among all, and it should never in any way be bought. I can give you an example of that. When I was a kid, this is an example of me buying justice. When I was a kid, I used to get speeding tickets all the time because I had a fast Mustang. Yeah, I know. You, you understand what I'm talking about. I had a fast Mustang, and I get speeding tickets all the time. Well, I had a lady that I knew worked in a courthouse, and her, her son was one of my friends, and so I'd always go to her, and she'd go, I'll get you out of it, honey. One time, I kid you not, we're, uh, I had to go into the trial, and she goes, I forgot about you. Come on. So she walks me in the courtroom. I get called. She stands up and walks over to the judge and whispers in his ear. He tells me to stand up. He declares me innocent, and I get to walk out of there. That is misuse of justice, isn't it? <laughs> is it not? I'm not proud of that necessarily. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is that is not how justice works. You know, the kid that comes in next is not going to get that same treatment, is he? You see, I've bought justice there. You see how it works in our society. As long as it works for us, we're good. But we don't think about how it may not work that way for others. And that's an imbalance of justice. That's part of our society. So here's a couple of questions. Who might you look down upon? you know, in, in the areas of the world, whether it be race or religion or political views or whatever case may be, who do you look down upon? Who might you think does not deserve justice? You see, if we're really honest and we really understand this point, we will see that God, because justice comes from God, we have to view it equally and let Him take care of those particular issues that we know we can't take care of. So let us take these things to heart. Now that we have grasped the essence of why there is such a thing as justice is because of who God is, let us look a little closer at, uh, at it biblically as we consider a biblical understanding of justice. So how does the, the justice coming from God unfold in the Scripture for us to understand? Now if we'll go back to Amos 5 just for a moment and wrestle with this, um, uh, you'll see in verse 7 in Amos 5 that the Lord rebukes His people for turning justice into wormwood. In other words, justice was being turned into bitterness because wormwood was a bitter plant, uh, plant and that's what the Lord's kind of communicating here. Is you've turned justice into bitterness. Some translations have it translated that way. Uh, verse 10 says, if someone spoke against injustice, they would be turned against. In other words, if someone were in the gate where the justice discussions took place, and they said, I think that's unjust, they would, people would turn around in this time and say, who are you to say that? There's nothing wrong with it. We decide what justice is right here, and not you. Shut up. I mean, that's basically what the Lord's saying is going on in the gate here in Amos's time. Verse 11, um, if they, uh, they, it says that they trampled the poor and exacted taxes of grain from them. So they took advantage of the poor. 
They tax them more. Now, I know we have a lot of discussions, and that's where the craziness of justice goes on in our country. We have a lot of discussion about the rich and the poor and all these things. But one of the things I can tell you from experience is that one of the things set up in our tax system is poor people don't pay as much taxes as rich people. Don't let the politicians tell you that's not the case, because that's not true. They do it all the time. And that's the craziness of justice. We have to be discerning and look for ourselves and understand for ourselves what is just and what is not just compared to the Bible. Finally, in verse 12, as we're moving along in the text, they um, afflicted the righteous. They took bribes like I did, in the, or like the judge did, I guess, in the courtroom uh, with my friend. And they turned aside the needy in the gate. And so the issue is, as we look at this text, what's going on here? What, what is going on? Basically this, Israel had redefined good and evil to suit their own advantage at the expense of others, which created injustice. So again, they're deciding what justice is. They don't really care what God would view as justice. They're making the decision. And then the history of, of mankind after the fall, the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. I know that we like to kind of point that out in modern science with the idea of evolutionary strength and weakness type of thing. But it, it comes from sin. It comes from the fall. It comes from that depravity that's in man's heart. And so in the biblical story overall, from Genesis up to the new beginning and Revelation, we see this happening on a personal level. We see this happening in families. We see this happening in communities, and it even goes to civilizations. You can see it all right there in the text. But when God chose Abraham to establish his people among the earth, they were to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. I'm going to come back to that in a second. They were to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. And these are parallel words in the Scripture, throughout the Scripture, developing the concept of God's justice, even here in the book of Amos in this chapter. We see this established in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. This is what the word of the Lord says. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So he chose Abraham and he says, okay, I'm choosing you. You are my people. Now I want you to show, I want you to reflect who I am in your justice and righteousness to one another and to the sojourner and to all those people, the immigrant and those people around you. I want you to shine the light. We also see this developed further in the law that he provided for the people of Israel. He, he gave them specific things in which they could do that, that reflected the idea of righteousness and justice. And so by the time we go through the Old Testament and we get to the book of Amos, Israel's rejection of this righteousness and justice of God uh, was so frustrating because they had rejected it again and again and again and again that at this point his patience has just run out. And we saw that as we continued to study the book. It's, it's at an end. To better grasp this biblically, 
let's consider briefly these words, the justice and righteousness, that help us to apprehend the concept of biblical justice. The Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah. Uh, when we think of righteousness, most often we think of it in terms of, okay, I need to be good. When we read the word righteousness, most every time when we read it, we think, okay, I need to be good. I need to be righteous. However, it's a little bit more specific than just being good. Um, though I'm going to take out a lot of the technicalities here for time, Sedekah, or righteousness, is essentially an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between God as well as between people. So if we were to look at that in terms of human justice, in terms of human justice, it's about treating others as the image of God. Do you understand that? That's what he's getting about. What is righteousness? It's treating others as the image of God. You think about how we treat one another. You think about how we treat strangers. You think about how we treat the sojourner or whoever among us. It's about treating them as the image of God. And so in the Old Testament, one can see many places where this is clear that righteousness and social ethics are very closely linked. For example, uh, the king who helps the poor in Psalm 72 is called righteous. That's, he's called righteous because he helps the poor. Um, the, the person who aids widows and orphans and the blind and the lame in Job 29 is called righteous. That's what he did. He was being righteous in the community around him. So again, righteousness in human terms is essentially an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. So it's about treating others as the image of God. Now let's move from Sedekah to this word justice. And here in justice as elsewhere, the Hebrew word is mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice, like uh, if one's stealing something, they pay the consequences regardless of race or social status. But mishpat also means more than just punishment of wrongdoing. It also means giving people their rights, again, regardless of race or social status. For example, uh, the tribe of Levi did not inherit the land that God gave to the children of Israel, but they served in the temple. They, therefore, received a tithe or temple tax from the other tribes, and this was the Levites' mishpat, or their right, as seen in Deuteronomy 18. Furthermore, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor composed the quartet of the vulnerable and, and a layer of society in Israel which also had unique mishpat. They were to be cared for. There were certain rules and regulations laid down to care for the poor among the people of Israel. And again, if we think about those things, if you really, people complain a lot about the law. And especially, like especially one of the things you hear a lot about today is, is how well, the Bible is so anti-women. like women. It's not. It was very pro-women. It's spoken into a culture where it was very anti-woman. <laughs> but it's spoken into a culture, and so many of the laws care for the women, care for the poor. But, the, you know, and if, and if the people would have obeyed and listened, then those people would have been helped more greatly than what we see here in the passage of Amos. They didn't care in Amos. 
And so when it comes to justice in the Bible, look at it this way. The Sedekiah righteousness is the standard of right relationships between all people. And the Mishpat, or justice, are actions you do to, to, to create the standard of righteousness. So the restorative aspect of justice makes sure everyone in the community receives fair treatment and is given what they are due, their rights, regardless of race or social status. Timothy Keller puts it this way. If you're going to live a life in accordance with the Bible, the concept and call of justice are inescapable. We do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. And so doing justice includes not only the righting of wrongs, but also being generous and having social concern, especially toward the poor and the vulnerable. And so from Genesis through the New Testament, these things are true. God cares for the least of these. He does. He cares for the least of these. He cares for the truth. He cares for honesty. It is about a selfless way of life toward others. And this is actually quite radical in our world. To live in such a way that the Lord would have us live in terms of justice is very radical. It's incredibly radical. So what do we need to think about concerning principles and maybe application of this? As a principle then, as God states in the Scriptures, He hates injustice. And so if He hates it, then we must ask ourselves, how do we view justice? And, or I should say, how do we view injustice or even justice? Do we see it as dishonoring to God? Do we see that? Do we see it as something that we uh, must involve ourselves in? Uh, one, of my, one of my children's favorite movies is uh, 42, which is about Jackie Robinson. And there's one scene in there where they're playing on the ball field. And, and I can't remember, the, 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 honestly, the other team, but the other team's coach is out there. And he is just railing on him. I mean, things that you wouldn't say in front of your mama. He is saying in front of the whole ballpark. And it's awful, the things he is saying. And I'm sitting there, and you know, all the other guys are on his team are kind of squirrely and everything, and I'm like, why don't you stand up and go over there and punch that guy in the face? He's a jerk. You can't allow him to speak to that man that way. How can you do that? When in that day and culture, they're, they're making a transition there. It was hard for them to stand up for justice and righteousness at that time for people. And Jackie Robinson was made in the image of God. How could someone sit there and allow him to be berated in that way? But it was a struggle for them. That's the issue that we have to deal with in our own hearts. It's not easy. I can sit there and say, I would jump up and go over there, but if I were there in that time in that place, I may not. You see what I'm saying? That's where we have to really wrestle in our hearts with this idea of injustice. Where might we be holding back? Where might we be wrestling with this? Where might the Lord call us to involve ourselves in areas that we're thinking, wow, that's, that was, that's hard. I don't know if I can do that. We have to pray about those things. And also on this, in terms of application and principle, we must remember that injustice must, again, be defined by the Bible's terms and not our own terms. In our day, 
I'm telling you that the, the, the culture is confused about what injustice is. And therefore, I, I see it in Christians. I see Christians putting things on Facebook, and I'm like, I'm not sure that's true. You know, I'm not sure that's true. One of my good friends, David Rogers, and I were at lunch with someone recently, and, and one of the guys was talking about something concerning something of injustice, and I loved it because David Rogers questioned him in a really good way. Do you think that's true? And one of the things he said was, is there is, you know, uh, something like there is, um, he talked about the percentages of immigrants in our country, and, and he made it sound like there's never been a time like that before. And David said, I wonder what the, the, the number of immigrants have always been coming into America from year to year to year. That's a great question. Why? Because that other brother's assuming some injustice that's in the world that may not be there. And that's the point. For example, as we think about this as Christians, we must be very biblically discerning. discerning. And perhaps like a, a really funny one that I think is interesting is always the talk of Robin Hood. The Robin Hood principle. Let us steal from the rich and give it back to the poor. Well, it's really funny to me how people, especially in government, talk about that. Because in Robin Hood, the rich were not really rich. They were the tax collectors. <laughs> it's interesting. If you look at the story, it's the tax collectors that are taking all the money. They were the rich. And so what Robin Hood was doing was giving it back to, taking the, the money back from the tax collectors and giving it back to the people. It's interesting, isn't it? See, there's all sorts of confusion out there about all these things. And so what I'm telling you is when it comes to this, be discerning, be thoughtful. Don't be afraid to ask that second question. You may be shot down like the guys at the gate here in Amos' time. How could you say that? This is justice. Don't be fearful. Ask that next question. Discern. Look. Let the Bible's theme and focus of justice drive us. And so far, what we have seen is that biblical justice reflects the character of God, that it is about right relationships, that it, is, that it encompasses being generous and caring for the vulnerable among us. So when this does not happen, there is obviously an absence of justice. So what can be done about it? What are we to do? Well, how can justice be accomplished? So we see really this in verses 14 and 15. But to kind of review our text again, to get it, to make sure it sticks in our minds, Kevin DeYoung puts it this way, that the Israelites at this time, they're kicking the poor when they're down instead of giving them a hand up. That's what they're doing. So it says in the text that the wealthy were selling the poor into slavery when the poor owned as little as a pair of sandals. This is cruelty. You have to understand, this is cruelty. They're being cruel to people made in the image of God. The second thing we see here is that they're doing justice for the highest bidder. So as the men would be gathered there at the gate, and they're, they're debating whether something is just or unjust, instead of making a fair adjustment based on truth, the men of Amos' day accepted bribes and paid no attention to the righteous plea of the poor. Thirdly, there's arbitrary, excessive taxation on the poor to benefit the rich. We see that in verse 511. Fourthly, we see a smug assurance on the part of the rich who live in the lap of luxury on the backs of the poor. The wealthy in Amos' day were getting richer, 
as made possible by the poor getting poorer. They had cheated, they had perverted justice, and according to one commentator, they made their money by outrageous seizure and illegal land grabbing. And you can see that also in the book of Isaiah chapter 5. Now because of these sins in Amos' day, because of these things, and you think about how awful they are, and we would probably never think in terms of this, you know, in doing any of this to anyone. Thank God we have Christ, the Spirit in us. But, but we could be tempted in that way. And because of the sins here, we have studied that there were terrible consequences and judgments. The Lord says that He despised the Israelites' feast and assemblies. In other words, He despised their worship. And so here's the idea. You can come and worship Me, and I'm going to despise it if you despise those people that I made in my image. Don't do that. That's what he's communicating here in the book of Amos. I won't listen to you. You have to love one another. He, he's, Amos is really pointing to Jesus, isn't he? Love one another. Love your enemy. That's what he's doing. And so he threatens to visit the land with darkness and not light, as we see in verses 18 through 20. So what can be done? What should be done? Basically two things. In verses 14 and 15 again, heed the words of the Lord, seek good and not evil, and establish justice in the gate. Or to quote the exhortation by uh, Dr. King, Israel must let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We are called to be His people, to be people of justice as we minister on behalf of them. What might this mean? Well, it means asking the questions, who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Does my neighbor need help? Does my neighbor need me to stand up for them? Does my neighbor need that from me? Someone to come and to be Jesus for them. Have there been times when you've walked away from someone in need, maybe thinking, someone else has got that. That's all cool. Maybe we would sit here in the service today and say, you know, uh, that Brian Fisher's out saving all the babies in the world. He's got it. It's all good. Brian Fisher's out and Jessica's out doing uh, work and trying to help ladies who have had babies or need or don't want to have babies and and. As, as they have issues in our world, and so that's all good. Do you see how that works? We need to ask ourselves the question, do I think someone else has got that? Or who is my neighbor? How may we consider our resources and energy and time to serve others and to give them justice in a particular area of need? What we see here in Scripture is that we can't just sit around and not act. But we act out of the grace and mercy that we have received. We are called to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called to serve our neighbor, that one who is broken before us because of who Christ is and what he has done in our hearts. To quote the prophet uh, Micah, God has told you, old man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
See, I'm convinced that we'll sin and we won't do this perfectly, but overall, as God's children, we should be showing forth justice and righteousness before the world just because of who our God is, because of who He is. And yet, if you're sitting there this morning and and you're uh, saying, Patrick, it's hard because injustice is everywhere. I get it. Injustice is everywhere. The crazy reality is is that we all participate in injustice. Whether that's actively or passively or even unintentionally, the reality is is that we're all guilty of it. For example, not all of us may uh, commit uh, actively the idea of injustice, but we might receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures that we take for granted. And you talk about a mess. History has shown this, that when oppressors gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. You would think they wouldn't, but they do. It just shows you the corruption of the heart, the, 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 the deep cesspool of sin that we're in. What can man do against such sinful ways, even in our own hearts? What can we do? The most extraordinary and surprising response to humanity's legacy of injustice is that God gave us a gift. The life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet He died on behalf of the guilty. In Jesus, God's love and justice are perfectly fulfilled by His righteousness. He offers his life to the guilty so that we could be declared righteous before God. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us. So simply, trust him. Has anyone ever done that for you besides the Lord? Has any God said, I will offer my son for you? I will punish him for your sins. Has any other God done that? Trust him. And then we live in his, his grace. Knowing this, and this is the hard thing we have to live with. We have to live with this idea that injustice will never, ever really be over on this planet until the king returns to make all things new. You know what that means? That means that until he returns, we're fighting a losing battle all the time. But we're still called to fight. He will make all things right. He is the only true and lasting solution. You can come up with governmental programs. You can deal, you know, dig water wells. You could do all kinds of things over and over and over again. Even Bono came out several years ago and said, quit giving money to Africa because the, the rich people steal it. And they never help anybody. Quit giving money to Africa. Because he finally understood that it's corrupt. But that doesn't mean we don't still fight. We fight with the understanding that Jesus will right the wrongs, that he has offered a substitute, that he will restore, and so trust him. And as you trust him, worship him. And as you worship him, abide in him, that his justice will flow through you to the hurting world. But also remember this, and this is a key here, okay? You don't have to save the world because he already has. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your mercy and grace.